listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, I want to I break this down. Many Christians do not understand the believer's authority and certain aspects of it. And I want to break it down today <clears throat> on the broadcast because uh, this is something that is taught in Scripture. And if you don't understand it, you're missing out on a serious aspect of what Christ delivered to the church. And so you've got to understand it biblically if you want to see this kind of victory in your life on a daily basis. But most people just think that, you know, if you look at at average Christianity, it's like, all right, we go through life. And as we go through life, we just have to deal with things as they come. Life will throw things at you. You'll go through stuff, and you just got to learn to deal with it. You got to learn to, you got to learn to um, roll with the punches, if you will. And so, as a result, you have a lot of denominational churches that will teach you on, uh, you know, living in the struggle. You know, that's why we got so mad about it that we just started coming up with our own terminology. That's where the struggle is over came from. I'm so tired of t- people talking about the struggle is real. And so uh, we started teaching this more often to people to understand um, why it is that we teach and believe you've got authority and how to uh, let that authority be seen in your natural life. It's not just an idea. Well, I believe I have authority and one day we're going to see. No, it's an actual element that Christ delivered to the church for you to walk in total victory in every area of life. And that's why we say that all the time. The struggle is over. Luke chapter 10. And um, we dealt with spiritual authority at the beginning of the week. And this, and spiritual warfare, and this this will fall kind of under that same banner, if you will. But I wanted you to see this now in Luke chapter 10 and uh, verse 17. Now, I think it's important because one of the things you'll hear people say is that like, well, yeah, Jesus had power. You know, Jesus was the son of God. So yes, he had power. And then there's, then you go on and people will be like, okay, yeah, the, the 12 apostles had power. You know, the 12, um, the 12 apostles, you know, they were handpicked by Jesus. They had miracle power. They did what they were called to do. And, uh, and those 12, you know, uh, once they died, once they passed away, then all those uh, apostolic miracle working gifts disappeared. You know, they don't work anymore. That whole power of God through the church in that way doesn't work anymore. So I do think it's important to note that when we start in Luke 10, 17, it's not, the Bible does not say, and the 12 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in your name. Look at what it says. It says, and the 72 returned with joy saying. So Without question, the power of God that Jesus delegated to them, it extended beyond the 12 disciples, and it's now being reported in action by these 72, right? So Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So let me break something down uh, again real quickly. Um, 
if you've ever looked at this from a King James Bible, that was something that kind of threw people off. They didn't understand it um, because if you were to look in the original language, you don't see uh, power and power. I've explained this on the broadcast before. You don't look at Luke ten nineteen and see, see the word power and then the word power. I give unto you power over all the power of the enemy. Uh, the Bible doesn't originally say that. That's why these, these newer translations, I appreciate the work that was done in translation to, so that we can understand that it doesn't say I give you power over all the power. It says I give unto you authority. I give unto you authority over all of the power of the devil. Two different Greek words. Exousia. I give unto you exousia. That's authority over all of the dunamis. That's the power. That's the power. So authority over power. Authority over power. I've explained it to you before that, uh, as Brother Hagin explained it, that when a police officer is standing at a red light that may be out, you know, it's, it may be flashing, maybe it's off totally, and he's directing traffic, he doesn't have power over the F-150. If the F-150 wanted to, it could run the police officer over. And there's nothing he can do about it. He can't push it out of the way. He doesn't have power over the truck. But he does have authority over the driver. So that when he holds up his hand or he holds up a stop sign or a flashlight or whatever it might be, that truck stops. The driver of that truck stops the truck. Why? Because he is recognizing the authority of the police officer. And that's the difference. I give unto you authority over all the power. And that's why it needs to be defined that way. Because one of the things you're going to see is that there are people that attempted without authority to do the same things that the body of Christ was doing who had the authority and failed. And I've made this, um, this analogy before, but in Acts 19, look at the seven sons of the Jewish priest Sceva. And they tried to lean on authority that they didn't have when they encountered a demon-possessed man, right? And they find this demon-possessed man, and here come these seven guys. And if you notice it, even in the text that you're reading, you can see that they don't have their own authority, right? So uh, they say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, they throw it. They're leaning on Paul's authority. In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of the man. And, and the demons don't respond. The demons don't obey. They just kind of, you know, look the man up and down. And really, the, the demon-possessed man then overpowers the seven men, strips them, beats them, sends them back the way they came, bruised and naked. What was going on? They were trying to operate in authority that they didn't have, that they did not have. And so as you look at um, authority, you recognize Jesus had it, Paul had it, the disciples had it, the 72 had it, the early church had it, right? Authority over the devil, which why do you think, why do you think that demons began to become irritated and scared around Jesus. They felt his authority. They felt his power. They couldn't deal with his authority. They couldn't deal with his power. Why do you think, uh, for example, same with Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas. You know, the demons felt the power of God's men. Same with the church. Here you can see it. And this is even before the church was founded. This is back when Jesus is still on the earth before his uh, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Here they come back, 72 of them. Oh Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Notice that they were using the authority of his name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's powerful. And so that transfers on. It transfers on. See, Jesus gave power to the church, to his followers. Behold, I've given you authority. I've given you authority. Well, we go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. That's where I want you to go. 
Gospel of John, chapter 14. And uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the Holy Spirit is to come. He's talking about uh, his ministry as the way, the truth, and the life, and then promising his followers the Holy Spirit's coming to you. The Holy Spirit's coming to you. So um, as you look at this, Jesus says in verse 12 of John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Now look at this. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that when I go to heaven, I'm going to send and I'm going to ask the father, he's going to send you the Holy spirit. And when the Holy spirit comes, he'll not just be with you. He'll be in you. He'll be in you and you'll do the works that I do, and even greater works will you do because I'm going to be with the Father. Well, when he goes to be with the Father, sits at the right hand, sends the Holy Spirit, and see this redemption process is complete. And so, get this now. I love it. Yes, Lenan, thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. So in Acts chapter 1, he gives us a little bit more uh, understanding of what's going to happen as well when the Holy Spirit comes. And he said this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So uh, you not only have authority, you have power through the Holy Ghost. Because again, Back here to Acts 1.8, this is the Greek word for power that was used in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, over the power of the devil. This is the same word dunamis here in Acts 1.8. So not only do you have exousia, you have power or authority, but you have dunamis, you have power. You have authority and power by the Holy Ghost. And people say, well, that's, brother, that's not for everybody. That was just for the 12 disciples. That was, and if you want to get, it was just for the 72, brother. Well, then explain. You know, here's an interesting thought. Um, Paul the Apostle was not one of the 12, nor one of the 72. But had the power. Had the power. All of these people that began to do what, what Christ did later, they were not part of the original 12. As the church continued to grow. And you saw these things happen. It was the power of God being manifested in the believers. Right, AJ. Stephen or Philip in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, you go on. Yep, or Barnabas. Exactly right. That's the point I'm making. They weren't part of the original 12. They weren't part of the original 72. But they walked in the power of God. Philip walked in the power of God to such a degree, he goes to the city of Samaria and begins to preach Christ to them, and the whole city begins to listen to what he has to say. They see the signs and the wonders, they hear the gospel preached, and they believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Peter and John come, they all get filled with the Holy Ghost. And so, these that weren't even a part of the original 12, part of the original 72, are also receiving the power. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit was sent to the church, and we were given the ability to come into covenant with Jesus Christ, I've been preaching this recently, and I want you to, um, I want you to write it in the comments section, because um, this is a very, very important point for you to get in your spirit. Um, <clears throat> number one is this. When you got saved, put, put it this way, 
I didn't just become part of the family. I became part of the body. Put that in the comments section. I didn't just become part of the family. I became part of the body. This is a big, big thing to understand. I didn't just become part of the family. I became part of the body. This is The reason this is so big is because of what we're discussing today, the believer's authority. What many people don't, why they can't grasp it, why they don't understand it. I'm not just part of the family of God. I am a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ. That's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing. And so we're going to deal with that quickly. And I want you to go with me to um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. That's right. I didn't just become part of the family. I became part of the body. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll start reading with verse 15, where Paul changes his thought process here. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, get this, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's a place of authority. The right hand of God speaks of authority. That's where he sat Christ, at his right hand. And where did he seat him? Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And listen, and put all things under his feet. And, now here's the part I got, you got to get this in your spirit. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So, So understand this before we go further. Christ became the head of the church, which is the body of Christ. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Get that in your spirit now. I'm not just a member of the family. I am part of the body. Paul does a lot of teaching on this. I'm a part of the body. I'm a member in particular of the body of Christ. That's a huge distinction to make. Because you could say, well, you know, I'm in the family. But, you know, it's really Jesus who has all the authority. It's really Jesus who has all, no, I didn't just get made part of the family. I became part of Christ's body, part of Christ's body. Hallelujah. It's a big, 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 big distinction. And I'm going to explain why in a minute. Big distinction. Let's go further. Now we're in chapter two of Ephesians. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So get this in your spirit. Though we were dead in trespasses and in sins, he raised us up together with Christ. Get it now. When Christ was raised, I was raised. When Christ was raised, you were raised. This is identification with Christ. We identify with every action of Christ. We identify with his death. We identify with his burial. That's, that, understand, that's, that's the outward expression that we, in baptism, when we, when we are baptized in water, we're going, for, it's like Christ going down, going into the tomb, into the earth, coming back up alive, resurrected. That's what's happened on the inside of us. And that's our outward expression of what we, an inward work of salvation, that we're going under the water. We, we, we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And now we are resurrected with Christ. We ascended with Christ. We were seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Everybody, in all capital letters, write it now, with Christ. Put that as big as you can with Christ. Why? That is so vital. That is called identification with Christ. This is Paul's revelation that believers need to get it in their spirit. Identification with Christ. With. With Christ. When it happened for him, it happened for me. When it happened for him, it happened for you. You see. Identification with Christ. Christ, with him in burial, with him in death. I am, Paul said this to the Galatian church, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Glory to God. Let's go back to it. One, one book back, Galatians 2. Hallelujah. I'll start with verse 17. Galatians 2.17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law, or excuse me, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's, he's teaching the Galatians here that we're not justified through the law or through works. We're justified through faith in Christ Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live who lives, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God. So we identify with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I was buried with with Christ, right? I was resurrected with, when he got up, we got up. Hallelujah. With Christ. I ascended. When he was raised, we were raised. That's what Ephesians 2 says. 
Though we were dead in trespasses and in sins, he raised us up together with Christ. Hallelujah. And seated us in heavenly places with with Christ. Well, why is that again? Well, back to Ephesians 1. This is something that we need to really have in our spirits because it's it's a it's the it's the crux of this whole matter. It is it is the uh, it is the hinge on which this argument swings that Paul's making is that you are not an individual in the same way that you used to be, where uh, you were a part of one kingdom now you're part of another. But it's it's no longer I that lives, Paul said. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives within me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got a new identity in Christ. And so what does it mean? It means that now I have been brought into the body of Christ. Not the family of God only. The body of Christ. Now you're a part of the family too because Christ is in the family. But you're really the powerful part. I'm in the body. And here's why it's a powerful part. Look at this now. We got added to the body. And then Ephesians 1 tells us at the end of the chapter um, that God seated Christ in heavenly places and he's far above all. Rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but the one that's to come. Look at verse 22. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So now, remember this, if I'm a part of his body, and Paul makes this argument to the Corinthian church, don't be upset about what part of the body you are. And don't ever think you're insignificant because you're a different part of the body than somebody else's. Don't say, well, I don't have any need of my ears because I have eyes. No, you need both. You can't say, I don't need a mouth because I have a nose. You need both. Every one of us are members in particular of the same body, the body of Christ. And so as we understand this, get it now, if I am now in his body, Then when he was raised up, I was raised up as a part of his body. Hallelujah. If I board a plane and it takes off and I fly up above Florida and pass over Atlanta, Georgia, you can't say, well, you know, it's Ted's head that's so far over Atlanta, Georgia. You know, it's his head that's flying at that level. No, my entire body boarded the plane. My entire body was raised up when it took off. My entire body is far above the city of Atlanta. Why? Because my body is not separated. It is unified. If the, get this now, if the head is cut off the body or removed or separated from the body, the body's dead. The body's dead. You are connected to Christ. You are a part of his body. That's why I always say this when I'm preaching and it makes people laugh. But, you know, if I go to a church for the first time and introduce myself to the congregation, I don't introduce every limb of my body, every part of my body as a different individual. So great to be here with you today at Victory Church. Uh, My head is Ted. My arms are Richard and Don. You know, my legs are, you know, it's like, you don't do that. It's all Ted. All of me is the same identity. All of me is the same identity. You know, not only does my head own my car, my arms own my car. My legs own my car. Because the car belongs to Ted. All of me owns the vehicle. My feet own the vehicle. My hands own the vehicle. I'm getting something to you, into your spirit. All of me owns my... It's not just my head that owns the house. My whole body owns the house. You see what I'm saying? All of me is in ownership of those things because all of me is me. And the Bible says that you have been united with Christ 
and you are a part of his body. He's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And so when we were, when he was raised, we were raised. This is what I want you to get in your spirit now. Uh, and gave him to be head over all things of the church and put all things under his feet. So notice, how far up is he, according to scripture? Far above all. Far above. So now we go down and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So even his feet are far above all. Get that? Even his feet are far above all. And the church, which is his body, fullness of him. So if you're a part of the body, do you realize that it doesn't matter if you're just a pinky toe? If that's your role in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're just a pinky toe, you're a part of the body and the body's been raised up and the body is seated in heavenly places and the body is far above all and the body has all things under his feet. So if even if you're at the, the lowest part of the foot, if you're the heel of the body, if you're Christ's heel, if that's your, if that's who you are in, in the, in the body of Christ and you know, you're serving your purpose as the heel of the foot. You know, the heel being the very lowest part of the body, all things are still far under your feet. Glory to God. Because you're not just a little bit above. Christ wasn't raised slightly above. Far above. Far above. And so you carry that authority of Christ. It didn't pass away. It didn't get extinguished with the death of the last original apostle of the Lamb. John, the revelator, it didn't, it didn't pass away. These things, God didn't change. Christ's plan didn't change. You are who Christ said you are. You carry that kind of power and authority. You're a part. See, you see now why it's so important to understand that you're not just a part of the family. You're a part of his body. If you're a part of Christ's body, then whatever is Christ's is yours. That's what covenant is. Whatever is Christ is yours. You've been brought in as one. Brought in as one. When you were a little kid, you used to say that you and your best friend were like this. And you would, you know, you'd cross your fingers, we're like this. But that's not how you and Christ are. You're not tightly woven. You are one, the Bible says. You've become one with Christ. United with Christ in baptism. I've been united with Christ in baptism. Hallelujah. United with Christ in baptism. We jump back again to the book of Galatians, which is right before this. Galatians chapter 3, and um, let's, let me just read you verse 27. Actually, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, let me go to verse 23. Galatians 3, 23. This whole passage right here, Galatians 3, 23 through 29, you need to highlight this, underline this, memorize this, get it into your spirit. Very very powerful passage for the New Testament believer. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 3, Galatians. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming, of, uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So how can you have faith in Christ before there was Christ on the earth? How can you have that? You can't have faith in Christ if there's no Christ to have faith in. So they were under the law of Moses. He said we were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian. It kept us in line until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no, uh, now face that, we are no longer under a guardian. So you see this? He's talking about the transition between being under the law of Moses and now being under the covenant with Christ. We don't need the guardian of the law anymore because now we can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work. For in Christ Jesus, get this, you are all sons of God through faith. For as, get this now, verse 27, for as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. 
Woo! That, that'll make you shout right there. Verse 27. As many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put him on. Hallelujah. You are in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're also Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Glory to God. Heirs. You're an heir. (laughs) You're an heir. Why? Because you're a, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Joint heir. Because you're in him, what's his is yours. His inheritance is your inheritance. His blessing is your blessing. What he is, you are. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to die for the sins of the world. It doesn't mean that you're to be worshipped. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means the authority of Christ belongs to the church. Hallelujah. The authority of Christ belongs to the church. And they saw it in the early church. That's what they were describing in Luke chapter 10. And they hadn't even formed the church yet. But it's what began to take place after people being healed, people being delivered, demons coming out, people being raised from the dead. Why? The authority of Jesus has been transferred to the church. That's the believer's authority. And if you don't get that, people are like, well, we're just, you know, we're just little slaves of God. Now here we just, you know, just sitting around. And I understood that Paul referred to himself as a slave of Christ, a ser- a bond servant, that Greek word doulos, a bond servant of Christ. By the way, let me just let me just add this in because people don't understand that because we've had such a we look at slavery from the perspective of uh, you know the African slave trade or uh, you know whatever that might be that we see today what we saw a pre Civil War and we have this um, we we have this uh, picture of slavery from that perspective but if you go back to Leviticus and read about what Paul the word Paul was talking about doulos. Uh, and it has a Hebrew word that, that correlates, it's a bond servant. So in those days, you could go into, into service for somebody simply because you owed them a debt and couldn't pay it off. And so you went into, became their slave or their servant uh, to work for them until your debt was paid off. But do you know what the Bible makes provision for? The Bible makes provision for this word doulos in the Greek, and there's a Hebrew word that goes along with it, that when people had finally completed paying their debt. And they were no longer in that relationship of being a slave or servant to that person. There were people who didn't want to leave that family. Whether you know that or not, go back and read it in the, in the book of Leviticus and understand it. There were people who finished their, uh, their um, paying their debt, finished their term, if you will, And they didn't want to leave the family they were serving. They wanted to stay on. They wanted to stay on. Well, they were called a bond servant. And so you know what they would do? There was an actual ritual that they would do. They would take them outside the house and take the earlobe and they would put a a nail through the earlobe into the front door of the home. It was a sign that forever this person is now a member of the home. A member of the home. They loved the family they were with. I didn't want to leave. I've paid off my debt. I'm no longer a slave, but I want to choose to stay here. That's the word Paul was using when he was talking about his relationship with Christ. I couldn't go do anything I want to do. I'm free to go live any old way I want to live, but I want to be a servant of Christ. I want to be a servant of Christ. And if you read uh, from John who wrote Revelation, he was the one that was with Christ at the Last Supper. And John refers to himself at the beginning of the book of Revelation uh, as a bondservant. He refers to himself as a bondservant. Same Greek word I just gave you before. Look at this. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show the servants, that's that word, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So that same word, doulos, used twice. I'm sending the revelation to all the servants, and it came first to the servant. This was the one who laid his head on the chest of Christ. What a powerful revelation that he, literally his ear 
was laying on the one who is the true door. I am the door, Jesus said. And John, who was the bondservant of Christ, laid his head upon the door at the Last Supper, his ear touching the door of Christ, and then refers to himself later as the bondservant, the doulos of Christ. I, I could go do anything I want, but I am choosing. I want to be a part of this family. I am crucified with Christ. Paul is encouraging the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3 to put on their new, their new self. Listen to this. If then, now see, now, now he understands that they know that we've been raised up together with Christ Jesus. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Look at this. For you have died. He's writing people that are reading this letter. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See that? You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul, if you go through all of his letters, he's teaching this intertwining of you're in Christ, you're with Christ, with whom? You, you go look, look at all the verbiage that he's using to get the churches to understand that you are one with Christ Jesus. I'm a part, not just of the family, I'm a part of the body. Glory to God. Glory to God. Put that in the comments. I'm not just a part of the family. I'm part of the body. Put it in again. This is so vital. I wish every Christian could understand this. I wish every Christian could, could get this in their spirit so that you stop viewing yourself as a nobody. You stop viewing yourself as somebody that's struggling to try to get through life so I can get to heaven. That's not who you are. That's not who you're called to be. You're not called to struggle through life to try to find a way if by the sweet by and by we'll understand it better. No. You are called to dominate. You're called to dominate with the authority of Christ on the earth. You're not just a part of the family. You're a part of the body. Glory to God. That's, that's good enough to dance about <laughs> all afternoon. Not just a part of the family. A part of the body. So powerful. And that same anointing that's, that was in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit. That same anointing that he was filled with when baptized in the Jordan River by John. Goes into the wilderness, full of the Holy Ghost. Dominates Satan in the wilderness. Dominates him. Satan tried so hard to take him out. And Jesus, as I taught, uh, I believe on Tuesday. It is written. It is written. It is written. And then the Bible says in Luke, Satan had to leave until a more opportune time, which means that Jesus dominated him and it was not a good time for Satan. It was not a good time for Satan to come mess with him. He just continued, it is written, it is written, it is written, resisting the devil and making him flee, full of the power of God, full of the power of God. You know, some people have such a weak view of the Holy Spirit. This, this, this YouTube video popped up on my feed last night. <clears throat> this husband and wife couple, that all they do is basically bash, uh, you know, any, anybody that's Pentecostal, anybody that's uh, word of faith or whatever, and they just play their videos and sit there. The husband, the dorky husband, the personalityless wife, and their stupid dog, and they just sit on the videos and just are snarky about everything, you know, it's, it's worse. You'd think it was like a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it seems like it is. It's so bad. And, and, and messing with people because they talk about the power of the Holy Ghost operating in the believer. And, and you know, this is, how, this is how dumb people are. Like, well, we are thankful. They said this. Well, we are, we are uh, thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, he's there to make, make sure we don't sin more. It's like, yeah, that's what you think. That the main job of the Holy Spirit is, is to, is to uh, indwell you. The very uh, third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, indwells you. Sits there and indwells the believer 
so that you don't have to sin more. That's, that's what you think it's about? That's what you think it's about? You read all that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and the coming Holy Spirit. You read all that the apostles taught about the Holy Spirit. You, read, you saw the narrative of what happened to them when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is your insane interpretation. Oh, I believe he does empower us to not sin more. Like that's, that's where they're at with their dumb Lutheran church mindset. That, that, that's where they're at. So well, it's not very nice to call them dumb. It's a very dumb position to take. Because if you relegate the Holy Spirit to just somebody who lives in you, it's like, well, you know, we would, I would be sinning a whole lot more than this, but I only sin a little bit because I have the Holy Spirit. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's all, always funny to me to watch these people. I would love to see at the end of the year how many people they've won to Jesus Christ. And of course, I know they don't even believe like that because they don't believe that it's really anything that we do that brings people to Christ. It's just a sovereign act of God. It's, it's a, a monergistic salvation that only happens when God initiates it and we have nothing to do with it. So not, not really sure what the point of preaching the gospel is other than to just obey the command of God and Christ to preach the gospel. But it's just it's something God does on his own. So I understand they probably don't even win souls. They probably don't even go after the lost. You know, they played a, a video of their pastor, quote unquote, or whatever those people have. I don't even know if they call them a pastor or whatever. But, you know, if I had to listen to that guy speak every Sunday... I would just send myself to heaven much quicker. If I, had to, if I had to sit in that piece of crap service next to those piece of crap pews that look like they're 300 years old, next to those two ridiculous people and their dog. Unbelievable. It's ridiculous. And literally <clears throat> sit there and criticize every person that's doing anything for Christ because they don't like their doctrine, they don't agree with it. <clears throat> oh Lord, Kate. Ugh. That woman is like the most personalityless woman I've ever seen in my life. I don't even understand. I can't even I can't. I can't even deal with him constantly glancing over at his wife through his glasses to see if she approves or disapproves. I've never seen a weaker man on video than that guy. <laughs> I've never seen somebody with less authority <laughs> in my life than this guy. I don't even know why the dog's on the show. <laughs> the dogs, they make the dog howl at bad doctrine. What do you think of what do you think of that preaching? Oh, it's like a bad SNL skit. I promise you. <laughs> and this is what people think the Holy Ghost is. Oh yeah, he's he, he empowers you, so you don't even sin more than you're already sinning. You know, I, they actually think I, I think we should go to church. You know, because we are sinners. We're all sinners. All right, you keep thinking that. You keep contradicting the word of God all you want. Keep calling yourself a sinner. Keep identifying as a sinner. When Paul said, we're no longer sinners, but that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So I would love, I would love to hear how these people who don't understand spiritual authority, the believer's authority, I would love to hear what they have to say about this new existence in Christ and how you can continually identify with the old life that happened before salvation and continue to call yourself a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. For example, when Paul referred to himself in the New Testament uh, that, that he was the greatest of all sinners, do you honestly think <clears throat> do you honestly think that Paul was referring to himself as the apostle that Jesus Christ appeared to and chose outside of time according to Paul 
and that Paul was referring to himself as though he were daily sinning and that he's the greatest of all sinners. Do you really think that that's what Paul meant? Or do you think that he was uh, speaking about the fact that Jesus called him out of a life where being the greatest of all sinners, he was murdering Christians and didn't even knowing, didn't even know he was opposing God, thinking he was following God, thinking he was doing what God wanted and not even realizing that he was kicking against the pricks, according to scripture. Imagine what you'd feel if your whole life you thought that you were doing exactly what God wanted and then Jesus appeared to you and said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming against me? How long are you going to kick against the pricks? How long are you going to... And most scholars believe that that when Paul, you know, he was on the road to the... uh, the, uh, Yeah. And they believe that, you know, he didn't eat or drink. I put this in the book on fasting. Didn't eat or drink for three days. Some don't even believe that was just truly him fasting and praying. It was just him in a state of shock. You know, there's Bible scholars that have studied this passage over and over and over. They say he wasn't doing a traditional fasting and prayer. It just said that he ate nothing for three days. In a state of shock. Can you imagine if you were like one of the most pious men you knew, rising up through the ranks, rising up through the ranks, a Pharisee, but like literally sat at the feet of Gamaliel, received, received the greatest teaching, very educated, thinking you're doing a, a, a zealous man, thinking he's doing everything for God that God wants done, and realizing, at a, at a turn of events, I'm actually persecuting the ones that God is using. And he's sitting there for three days in a state of shock. I was literally opposing the Most High God. I was literally opposing the Messiah God sent. So you think that Paul's referring to, I'm the greatest of all sinners. You think Paul was out getting drunk every night, sleeping around, getting high. What do you think, what do you think Paul was doing? Paul said specifically in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he put his flesh under on a daily basis. And say he was sinning on a, on a daily basis. He said he put his flesh under on a daily basis. And these people don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit or even the purpose he was sent to accomplish. And this is where people miss it on, on believers' authority. They think, you know, the Holy Spirit's just here to comfort us. Yes, he is a comforter. He's just here to make sure we don't sin. Yes, he will convict the, the believer of their righteousness. Yes, he does that. But don't forget that he empowers you. Look at the way. Uh, I'll finish with this and we'll pray. Look at the way he empowered Jesus. That might be a great place to start. Look at the way he empowered Jesus. Jesus did nothing for 30 years. And then after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, then his miracles broke loose. Then his ministry broke loose. He couldn't do it. He was the son of God from birth. He was the Messiah from birth. He's, He's an eternal being. The word made flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Nothing about Jesus changed except that he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And when he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, then guess what? You can't argue that that was his salvation experience. He was without sin. He didn't need salvation. He was without sin. What was that at the Jordan River in Luke 4? That was his empowerment experience. That's what he said. That's what he was saying would come upon us when the Holy Ghost was sent to us. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, it came upon Jesus at the Jordan River. This is my beloved son. Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And Luke 4, 1, and he was led into the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. Fasting, prayer, Luke 4, 14. And he returned from the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is sent to us to walk in the power and authority that Christ reserved for his body. You have power. You have authority through the Holy Spirit. Most people never understand why. It's because you're not a part of the family. You're a part of the body. Amen. You're a part of the body. Praise God. And that's why this should drive us 
to do what Christ has called us to do. This should drive us to do the work of the ministry. This should drive us. You know, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate resurrection this Sunday. But this message should drive us to understand that God allows what we allow. I'll tell you, Brother Hagin said, I'll tell you this story and then we'll pray. When he got this revelation from the Lord by studying these passages, he said he had a vision where the, where the Lord appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him to, to, to speak to him. And Jesus is there speaking to Brother Hagin. And he said when he did, a demon spirit came in between he and Christ and began to make noise and babble so that he could no longer hear what Jesus was saying to him. It just went on and on, yeah, 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 and just made noise and so that he couldn't hear the voice of Christ. And he's sitting there wondering, why isn't Jesus doing anything about this? What's going on with this? Why isn't Jesus... And finally, he got angry enough that he couldn't hear Jesus, that he said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And that thing left. I mean, it, it left. And Jesus said to him after this, now this is Brother Hagin's own testimony. He said that Jesus said, if you'd have not done anything about that, I couldn't have. If you would not have done anything about that, I couldn't have. He said he couldn't believe the words he heard. He said, Lord, you, you mean you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't have. He said, no, I didn't say I wouldn't have. I couldn't have. And he was speaking to him about delegated authority, delegated power. Is Jesus forcing anybody to be saved today? Is Jesus forcing anybody to be healed? Is Jesus forcing anybody to be delivered? Is Jesus forcing anybody to be in peace and joy? Is Jesus forcing anybody to be blessed? No, no. We've been given authority as believers, to take the promises of God by faith. Jesus won't force you to have anything he's provided. He provided it, gave it, but we've got to take it. And we take it by faith. And we understand that faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's why I'm showing you today the, the avenue that people need to understand about having the authority that we have. Know why you have it. Because when you know why you have it, nobody can talk you out of the fact that you do have it. And you do have it. Father, I pray for every one of them today. I pray they'd be so empowered. So stirred up in their spirit. To do what you've called them to do. They'd never back off. They'd never back up. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, that no matter what the enemy tries to throw at them, the boldness that you've given them will overpower any attack of the devil urgency, boldness, the fire of God coming upon every one of us to do the work that you've called us to do, to accomplish your purpose in the earth, to see souls saved, to see people changed by your mighty power. I pray in Jesus' name that you would open doors for us in these final moments of time. I pray in Jesus' name that you would do for us what has never been done before. Lord, this year of divine possession, supernatural year of divine possession, I pray, Lord, you'll do what nobody else has done for us. Take all the glory for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for it. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. You know, before I, before I give you an opportunity to give, let me give you a testimony if you missed it yesterday. Carolyn gave it on her broadcast. So awesome. You know, at the beginning, I think it was, what, beginning of the year, last year. Um, you know, our, uh, those, those that work with us in Miracle Word Ministries, not everybody lives here in Florida. Of course, we're here um, Tiffany's here, but the others have told us that they're all feeling to move to Florida and be here with us. And so Ralph and Jenna had felt to move to Florida. Uh, Zach and Heather felt to move to Florida. Alex is moving to Florida. And so, you know, with everything that's going on, you know, people just trying to find places to uh, live, you know, homes, whatever. And, uh, you know, they've been trying, but properties are flying off the market. I mean, properties are flying off the market. You got something up, up for one day, it's gone. And then people offering far above value so they can get a place. I mean, it's insane. And uh, Ralph and Jenna had been looking for a place. A few places had already fallen through, but we kept encouraging them. It's just because God had something better for them. God had something better for them. And so um, a friend of ours here at the church who's a realtor called them and said, a, a friend of mine, 
who's also a realtor, called and said, uh, got a property going on the market, but they're not even going to list it because they were so moved about a story that Ralph and Jenna had where they were trying to get a house. They didn't even realize that they, they had put it in to try to get it in a retirement community. Didn't even know it was a retirement community. And this property became available. And uh, they said, you know, and this is unheard of. You talk about miracles. This is a miracle. Uh, totally unheard of. The person said, I'm not even going to put it on the market. That if your friends still want to want to have a place down here that we'll make it available. We won't even put it on the market. They can just, they can do it. And and think about this for all the money you could get, even for rental homes, they said, ask them, what do they want to pay in rent? (laughs) When I tell you that's a miracle that there are houses that should listen to me. When I say this, there are houses that should only be rented out around here for like $3,000. That's what they should be being rented out for. People are renting those same houses out for like $4,500 is the list. And then people are bidding more than that so they can get it. And there's people paying like $5,100, $5,200 a month for a rental house. That really should only be about $2,800, $3,000. But because of the market, they listed at like $4,200, $4,500. And there's people that are bidding higher so they can get the property. $5,200. Crazy. And to have someone say... What rent would you like to pay? That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And the doors are already opening. The doors are already opening up. And people, uh, what have we been declaring for, for all of us, part of the Victory Tribe? This is our year of divine possession. This is our year that God is going to give us what we've never had. We'll do what we've never done. We'll go where we've never gone. It's our year. Don't give up on that. This is our year of divine possession. And I'm telling you, we're going to have what we've never had. This is going to be a mind-blowing year. And so let me encourage you. Maybe you're believing for a a miracle like that. Do what they've been doing. Sow seed. Get seed in the ground. Give God something to bless. And so let let me encourage you. Sow a seed by faith today. Do what the Lord's speaking to you to do. It's important. Because God has plans to bless you this year. But they don't come to pass automatically. God responds to your obedience, to your faith. Always. Always. Those that are standing with us, those that are partnering, we're going to send you as our way of saying thank you. This book by Dr. Cho, Holy Spirit, my senior partner, on the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit by the pastor of the largest church in the world. Those that are sowing $250 this month, we're including with that, Shepherd looks at Psalm 23. And then for those that are sowing 1,000, the Net Study Bible, 60,000 translators notes along with those two books. And um, that's our, our way of saying thank you. If you'd like to receive it, uh, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out the form so we know where to send it. You can use PayPal. You can use Cash App, hashtag donate, Zelle, Venmo. In fact, if you go to the website, all the ways to give are there on the website. And I want to say a big thank you to everybody that's standing with us. Thank you ahead of time for partnering with me and with Carolyn and with Miracle Word Ministries. Uh, I'm telling you, it's the best year we've ever had. You know when your accountant can't believe it. It's a supernatural thing. When your accountant still can't keep believing. This is like the second time. It's like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. Because God just keeps his hand of blessing when you keep doing what he's called you to do. That's going to be your story too in Jesus' name. Supernatural multiplication. Supernatural multiplication. We've got so many things on the table I can't wait to share with you. But I'm not allowed to say a thing. I'm not allowed to say a thing. We're keeping it under wraps. The hint was the hint. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it will be your story, Lynette. Hallelujah. I love you guys so much. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for hanging with me. I will see you in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Listen, for those that asked, how do you uh, get on the wait list for Bible Study Made Simple in the fall? All you got to do is go to that same website, bible.miracleword.com, and you can sign up to be on the wait list We're already at 339 students that are a part of this now, and we're in it, and it's great. 
It's great. I'm looking forward to all these weeks where we're diving into deep Bible study together. We want you to be a part of it as well. I know you probably, those of you that couldn't do it at this time, jump in in the fall. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I love you so much. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.